Welcome to the podcast of Revival Fires. As we pursue Jesus, our vision is to build a community of believers who are present-centered, people-focused, and community-oriented. This message is taken from our Blueprint series, a journey through the book of Acts. We really believe that you will encounter Jesus through this teaching today. Let's look at Acts 4 today. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guards and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. What a place they were at when they were greatly disturbed by the preaching of the name of Jesus. Interesting. We, let me just quickly recap in case you weren't with us last week. Last week, Peter and John were a power couple of intimacy and action together who grabbed the hand of a lame person and healed him in the name of Jesus. And it caused an incredible stir amongst the, the, um, the temple. It, this, I was going to say the church. You see, the church was being born. We're in this place right now where Pentecost has inaugurated the construction site for the church of God. <laughs> what can I say? God's calling. He's got your number. We, this is what happened, and, and it, the church was being birthed. The move, the fresh move of God was, was coming into the world. And it was from this place now that the leaders, the religious leaders, were greatly disturbed. And that's what we're picking up in verse, in verse uh, 1 of chapter 4. And here we are, verse 3. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and the scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. When they had been placed in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Say that with me, in what power? And by what name? This is the crux of what we're going to get to today. The, what is the power and the authority that we have as the church, that we have as the body of Christ? Let's continue then in verse 8. So then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for the benefit done to a sick man as to how, this is, how his man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. Amen. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven which has been given to men by which we shall be saved. There is no other name than the name of Jesus. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John, they understand that they were uneducated and untrained men. This was actually quite an insult. They were basically saying they were illiterate. They were um, untrained, illiterate men. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them, warn them to speak no longer in the, in, to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them together, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Interesting point here, if they had been cast out of the council, how did they know what was being said? And I've, I've read some really interesting uh, scholars say that Paul, who became, a Saul who became Paul, and we're going to get to this later on, he was probably amongst the people in that, in that secret council, listening to what they were saying. And later on, when he became uh, a follower of Jesus Christ, he probably told them, oh, do, you know what, do you know what they were saying in that room? Let me tell you what they were saying. And this is why we have this, this rich tapestry of Scripture. So continue with verse 19. They've just been told, Do not speak anymore in the power of this name. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. 
When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. Basically, they were people pleasers. They were afraid by the crowd, what the people would think if they were to punish Peter and John. But they had already spent a day in prison, a night in prison. It's quite an interesting qualifier for leaders in the early church. If, if us as preachers, as pastors, had spent a couple of days in prison, we probably wouldn't be very good on our resume as pastors, would it? Your pastor's been to prison. Actually, our, our pastor... <laughs> Woo! This is why we're revival fires, guys. This is why we're revival church. Oh, I love that. Yeah, we qualified. Um, let's pick it up again. Uh, verse 24. When they'd heard this, so they went back to their people. When they'd heard this and they told them what happened, they lifted their voice to God with one accord and said, O oh Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. By you, Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, you said, why did the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in their city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. These guys were praying great doctrine. Let me tell you this, great truth. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The power of the name of Jesus. It's so enriched and inwoven into what was happening in those days. And what is still happening today. And when they had prayed, the place where they gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. There's an instant answer to that prayer. Do you see as well here, we've had the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The place was shaken. Tongues of fire appeared on their head. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happens again here? The place is shaken again, and they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't another day of Pentecost. You can't have that. That's already happened. But God continues to fill His people with His Holy Spirit. God continues to fill us. Let me just pray. Father God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for this passage of Scripture. And Lord, we invite You to come and to speak to us as we dig into this, as we learn more about power and authority, what you've given us. Lord, would you make us a church like the blueprints that you had on your heart when you birthed the church, that we would be a church full of power, a church full of testimony and witness, a church full of boldness in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Okay. Now, there's two words that are used for power. If you remember verse 7, this is, this is where we want to go. We want to understand what it is to be a people of power and authority. They asked the disciples, by what power do you do this? And by whose authority? By what name? And I want to just talk a little bit about two Greek words because it really helps us to understand what the Bible was saying. Let me also let you know, it's got nothing to do with being looking like clever. If the disciples... Uh, as leaders of the church, the first qualification was, there was, put, was that they were put in prison. Another qualification was that they were untrained and illiterate. Let me tell you, I'm not trying to stand up here and talk to you about Greek because I'm trying to look trained and illiterate. Some of you have asked me about my ac accent. Yes, I'm untrained and illiterate young boy from the back end of Zimbabwe, Africa. Anyway, here's, what, here's why we want to talk about some Greek words. If I was to um, say barbecue to you it's a lovely day i don't know if you guys are going to have a barbecue maybe later if i was to say barbecue uh, and i love england but just let me go there for a minute sausages and burgers right maybe if you're lucky a few pieces of chicken or even those like little kebab things that you get that are really i don't know what kind of meat there is it's like they say it's lamb but i don't know like it's it's been pre-chewed by something and stuck on a stick you know <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then, and then when, you, when you barbecue it, how, how many of you have had sausages that were more of a burnt offering than a meal? You know, it's like, wow, I can tell you guys like to go to church. Here's another burnt offering on the barbecue. You know, this, this is a barbecue. But as an African, if I was to say barbecue to you, it's a totally different experience. It's big pieces of steak cooked lovingly and lavished with oil and salt 
and, and just like juicy and amazing. Like it's incredible. So if I was to say the word barbecue, we have different cultural backgrounds based on our experiences, don't we? What about, now let me, let me take your side, because I learned a lot when I came to England. If I was to say roast dinner, Sunday roast dinner, hello. Let me tell you, the first time I ever ate a parsnip was when I came to England. I was having roast dinner with Anna and her family about 20 years ago. It was amazing chicken. Sharon had done this beautiful chicken. There was all these condiments. I mean, there was homemade cranberry sauce. There was bread sauce. Anyone ever had bread sauce? Breads is only something I ever would put in a toaster and have with jam for breakfast. But here it was like garlic and milk and bread. Then there was roast parsnips, roast potatoes. There was all these greens. There was gravy. This was a roast dinner. You see, when I grew up, a roast dinner was something that was probably also a burnt offering. You know, We just had potatoes and meat. That was it, right? But in England, what's a roast? It's, it's amazing, right? So I had to understand the cultural background when you say roast dinner someone said to me do you want to go out for a roast dinner no not really thanks because i hadn't experienced it right so it's when we're talking about understanding the greek words i want us to go back and understand the cultural relevance of what that word had when it was written down in the bible the other thing about the greek language is it's so rich you see i'm wearing i'm wearing a shirt and i in english i'd have to say it's a blue shirt it's a blue denim shirt. I'd have to use three words to describe this shirt. But in Greek, they had one word that describes so many different aspects. You see, we have to add adjectives to describe things. But in the Greek, we can go back there. So we're not doing it because we want to be intellectual. We're doing it because we want to experience what God was, trying to, what was, God was saying to his people and through his people at that moment. Are you ready for a roast dinner? Okay, so there's two words that were used uh, in the New Testament to talk about power. The first word is dunamis. You probably heard of this because it's actually the root word for dynamite. When they used the word dunamis, it's the root word for dynamite. And God had said to his people, it's all throughout the book of Acts, right there in uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 7, when Jesus came before he was ascended and he said, but wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power. God wants to put power in us. And this word dunamis, it's strength based on inherent physical, spiritual, or natural power. It's an indwelling power. It's something that comes within us. I read about, um, let me read you this. Jesus said it as well. Luke 24, verse 49. I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So there's a power that comes within us. There's a power that comes to live with others, within us. It's who we are. It's inherent. It's, it's what we carry. Then there's another word, which is exousia. Say exousia. And this is slightly different power. It's also translated power in our Bible. So sometimes we can just read it and say power and think, I got the power. And not understand the difference. This word exousia, it means delegated power. It's authority. It's something that God has given us the authorization to act within and to act underneath. It's authorized on behalf of heaven. It's very similar if we talk about maybe ambassadors and embassies. Do you understand that analogy? That's the same idea. It's an authorized power. It's like someone saying, um, giving you a command and saying, you can go and say that I said that you can do that. Have, have, you, have you ever done that? I mean, growing up as a kid, I'd talk to my brother. I need to play with that toy. No, it's my toy. You're not playing with it. And what would you do as a kid? You'd say, mommy said. <laughs> it's funny how mommy's name had a lot of power those days. <laughs> the older I got, it was dad's name. But, you know, when you're young, mommy said. But mommy said you have to let me play with it. And what would happen? All oh, right then, you know. Here's the toy. There's power in a name, isn't there? We have to hope sometimes if someone says, you can use my name, that it's a name worth using. Let me tell you, when Jesus died on the cross, and as we've read all throughout uh, chapter 4, there was the power in his name. That is the authority that he has given us. He has given us a name that carries so much authority. He has given us a name that is above all other names. It is a name in which power comes from the highest throne 
in the in, in the universe, I was going to say in the land, it's the throne above all thrones. It's the throne that he ascended to after he's given his life as a sacrifice. That is the place that we have got the power, the exousia, um, the delegation. And here's the amazing thing. In Matthew 10, verse 1, Jesus uh, did this. He summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease, every sickness. He has given us the authority. What has he done with the authority? He's given it to us. So true power and the power that God wants us to walk in is when we have the authority to move in power. So often we, we think God's enclosed us within, but he also wants you to know that you've got the authority to move within that power. This is what God wants us to walk in as a church. And I, I want to give this example because it, it really spoke to me. I was having a meal with a friend uh, in a really nice restaurant just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I, I needed to use the toilet. And I walked into the toilet. And you guys have probably been in places like this sometimes down the corridor here at church. It does the same as well. And you walk in and it's super, super dark. You know, you walk in and, and you can't see anything. It's a new place. I've never been this way before. I don't know which door it is. And I don't want to walk into the ladies' toilets. You know, so you walk in and it's dark and you, you find yourself stopping for a minute and thinking these things. Is there a light switch? Where is the switch? Thinking, what do I do? It's so dark. I don't want to walk into the wrong place. What do I need to turn around and go back? Do I need to go and find the switch? And then realizing, what if it's one of those switches where I am the switch? What if it's one of those places where I'm going to bring the light? And how do I bring the light? I keep moving. And I, and I found myself sitting there for, sitting there, standing there for a, a, a split second. And it was in that moment I felt God say to me, Ryan, this is exactly the same. And I want you to tell the church, in places of darkness, you are the switch. In places where things need to turn around, you are the switch. In places where there needs to be light, you bring the light. And so often we go in and we don't realize that we've been given the authority in that place to move. Who gave us the authority? Jesus Christ. And we've been given the inherent power within. You see, in that, mo in that place, I know it's, it's not too technical, but there's a sensor somewhere and it's watching me. And I've got power within me. If I want to turn the light on, I've got to move. But because I, I'm standing there still, where, where's the switch? I don't want to bump into anything. Are some ladies going to, am I going to walk into the wrong toilet? Do we need to go back and turn it on? What do I do in the darkness? But hold on. I am the switch. You are the switch. You've been given the authority to move and you've got the dunamis power within you to, to bring about the change. God is putting a group of people on the earth who are going to bring about change in the midst of your situations. We've, we prayed for marriages today. Our friends, ask yourself, what are the things that need to change in my relationships? What are the things that I need to see shifted in my life right now? Because I believe God is going to give you a word. God is going to give you hope. God is going to give you a strategy and a way to bring about change, even as I'm preaching today. Not just from the words that I'm saying, but what from the Holy Spirit begins to speak over your life. What are the things that you, are been, you have been praying over and crying out for to see God bring about change? Because the Lord is saying today is a day for switching things on. Today is a day for turning things around. Today is a day where he is making a highway. He is making a way. He is the way. And he wants you to be those people who make the way as well. I know Anna brought that picture out. I don't, I don't know where it is, but... In that moment in worship, uh, I said to Anna, I think someone got up and prophesied, and it's great. And I love hearing the now word of God. And if you have got something to pray and prophesy, if you've got something that you feel God is giving you, come up to the host and share it in the worship. The host is there as a, as a door. You see, that's what we are as leaders. We're there as doorways. So don't worry if, you, if you're trying to weigh it up yourself, thinking, is this for me? Is this for the church? Am I going to sound you know, good, bad, is this what I ate last night? Is God speaking to me? Come and share it. Don't be offended if they say, no, hold on. Let's just wait on that. Or that might be something for you. But be the switch. Be faithful with what God is speaking to you. You see, if we can do it here, guess what? We can do it in our families. 
We can do it um, with our friends and our work colleagues and, and in our places of, of education, wherever it is that you come from. I don't know where all of you guys come from, but that's the place God wants it to work. So we are the switch. God has given us the power to turn things on. So I, I, I just want to um, share a little bit about how are we going to turn on the switch. Number one, we need to understand what we've been given. It was so good to hear Pauline's uh, testimony. But last week, you know when we were re- reading about Peter and John and they said to you, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. Let me tell you, I've had a a shift and a switch come on in my heart this week, understanding what I have been given. So often, we worry about what we don't have. We worry about the things that we haven't been given. Instead of realizing what we have been given and just praying that. You know, I felt, even even in in our family, um, I can't tell you a little bit about our family life. It's really simple, but I want you to understand this because I want you to know that you are called to minister. You are called to be the switch. Um, In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks uh, to the church and he says, When Christ ascended, he gave gifts from on high to men. And he lifts the fivefold ministry. He lists gifts of the apostolic, the prophetic, the teacher, the pastor, and the evangelist. That's not quite the right order. I know. But he lists the five gifts. And then he says this. The gifts are for the building up of the church and for, to equip the saints for ministry. Let me tell you the switch that came on in my, in my heart. So often we feel that we're up here as pastors, preachers, whatever, and leaders to preach. And the sign of our effective ministry is that we get to do more ministry. Right? The sign of our effective ministry is that um, people come and give testimony of how God spoke to them through what we said. The sign of the effective ministry, oh, let's just be honest, I'll talk about my family life in a minute, I haven't forgotten that, I know, we're just kind of going on one for now, is how many people have watched the YouTube video, or how many people message you the week after, that message really spoke to me, or what things are said about in life group, you know, all that stuff is good, but here's the switch that I realized, and I want to say it because we hear a lot about the apostolic, apostolic gifting in this church, we hear a lot about the prophetic gifting, and we want to because it's something that God is giving us as blueprints, for the church that he is building. The litmus test of, le- of us as leaders in our ministry is that you do the ministry. That's a switch change for me. The litmus test of how effective we are as leaders is not that we do more ministry. It's not that we get more invites to, to platforms and places to preach and to share. It's not that we get to more streams and more connections and more, more that. Do you know what the litmus test is? It's that you do the ministry. It's that you come back and say, Ryan, I prayed for my family and you will not believe it. She had COVID and she was healed. It's that, Ryan, I went into my workplace and I spoke to my boss. I went into my school and I spoke to a colleague. I invited them to to Life Group, to Alpha Course. Someone gave their life to Jesus this week as well on Alpha Course. Praise God. Yeah, I love celebrating. These are the wins that you get to do the ministry. And so when Pauline's shoulders is healed and you guys put your hands up for prayer you you're laying hands on the sick because you are the body of christ because who is the switch yeah you are the switch say i am the switch i am the switch yeah we're gonna go in places and see things change the litmus test is that the church of God is equipped. The saints of God are equipped to do the ministry. And I want to fill you up today with so much heavenly Holy Spirit power. In Zimbabwe, we call it magetsi. It means electricity, energy. I want to fill you with so much magetsi, so much power, so much Holy Spirit within you that you can go and touch things and they shift. That you can go and touch situations and they shift. Come on, give God praise. Lord, would you do that in this church? Would you do it in our lives? Okay, this is a great tangent. Where am I? I'm over here talking about family. So every night, we put the children to bed, and we, we make a point of praying for our children. Um, I'm at that place where we've been married 18 years, had kids for 15 years. 
15 years times three children times how many nights a year. You know, it's a lot. And at the end of the day, the easiest thing sometimes is to say, guys, good night. Close the door. <laughs> Maybe leave them with a mobile phone. But hey, I'm just going to be honest. Talk about family life. And there comes a point where you say, no, Ryan, my ministry is to my family. First and foremost, my ministry is to my wife, my family, my church, my friends, those people around them. So even though I'm exhausted and even though I'm going to go to each child's bedroom and say a different prayer for each of them, I'm going to do this because I'm their father. And who else is going to model it to them if not me? So when I talk about praying for your family, I'm not just saying it as this throw-out statement where I don't know what it costs, where I don't know the reality of the questions that you get asked in that moment, where I don't know. Let me be honest with you. It's great in church on a Sunday. Jude and Sam. Oh, Sam, good to have you here again today. Come on, give the Lord praise for his ministry gifting. Thank you, God. And all the worship team and, and just, and you know, Luke's done the sound and Mike's pumped it up and you come in here and it's like, oh, I can feel the presence of God. And you pray for people on the line and you know that God is moving through them. And then when you get home and pray for your 10-year-old girl in bed, you're like, where's the power, God? Do you know what I'm saying? They're like, okay, I'm going to impart something here to you. You know, I'm going to give you the power of Christ. Are you done, Dad? <laughs> It's not like that, maybe once or twice for a 14-year-old, perhaps. But what I'm trying to say is that is the place where the ministry happens. That is the place when the rubber meets the road. That is the place when, at, before a meal, we want to say grace. Why do we say grace? Because we're being traditional and religious? No, because we are putting in place a practice of the presence of God. So when I'm talking about family, I really mean it, that we can be a people who see God's presence and power amongst our family. And who's going to do it if you're not the switch? Who's going to do it in my home if I'm not the switch? I mean, I wish they would just get their phones out and go to a Steve Furtick podcast and play one for themselves as they go to sleep. But that doesn't happen because I'm the switch. I'm the switch of their lives. We are the switch for the lives of people around us. And you see, here's the thing. If we can capture that for our family life, because we all have a family life. We all have people who we're in that, that kind of family environment with. If we can capture it there, it's not such a giant step to do it in your work life. It's not such a giant step to do it with your colleague life. It's not such a giant step to do it with your school life. When I realize I'm the switch. I think you guys are getting this. Say amen if you're getting this. Amen. Understand what we've been given. See, 2 Timothy 1.7 says this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timid, timidity, but a spirit of power and love and discipline. You see how Paul links power and love. We're going, we're going from the place where intimacy and action are being linked together. Where God is giving us power. That word again, it's dunamis. This is what we've been given. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been given the name of Jesus. We've been given His authority. And I want to talk for a bit now about a switch of our testimony. One of the biggest switches that we've been given is the power of our testimony. What I, I highlighted this word. I, I loved it in, in what we read. Verse 20. For the disciples said this when they were on trial. You know, sometimes our faith is on trial. Sometimes Christianity is on trial in the world we live in. Sometimes our testimony is even on trial. The things that we say and we believe. And this was their response. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. See, the blueprint here is that God says, you will be my witnesses. A witness is the same as testimony. God is saying here, I will give you a testimony. So what is one of the things that we've been given? We've been given the power of our testimony. It's that dunamis within us, what God has done. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. One of the, the, most, um, one of the most wonderful times in, in the weekly life of, of leading a church is when we do heart to heart. I look hard. There's many people who've done heart to heart. I'm not going to pick on you specifically so you can take a big breath. It's okay. 
And if you want to come to Heart to Heart, you know, it's, it's an opportunity for us to tell you the journey of the church and the vision of the church, but for us also to hear your journey. And one of the things we ask in Heart to Heart is, it's not about what church were you at before, where have you come from before, because we want to celebrate all the churches in the area. We know that God leads people to different churches at different times, and we're part of that journey. So it's not about where you come from, can you be a part of this We've said it so many times when you gave your life to Jesus, you were part of the body of Christ. The question we ask is, how did you meet Jesus? What is your testimony of salvation? What was the moment that you, God touched your life through the name of Jesus Christ? What is the thing, the experience that God has done in you that you are a witness to? Do you understand? And so many, so many of us, we have got the most powerful testimonies, but we discredit our testimony because we think it's not as powerful as that person who was in prison. It's not as powerful as that person who overcame a life-controlling issue. It's not as powerful as that person who was in the depths of the worst darkness and God brought into light. And we think our testimony isn't as big as that. But here's what I'm saying. Forget about what you don't have. Peter and John said, we don't have silver and gold at the moment, but what I do have, what witness do you have of God's work in your life? Because that's one of the most powerful things that God has given you. So we're doing heart to heart. And let me tell you, friends, the testimony of what God is doing in this day and age, I want you to know God is moving. I want you to know God is on the, is on the move as, even in these days as he has been doing in the book of Acts. So one of, the, one of the precious ladies, let me just read this to you. Some of these testimonies, where am, where am I? Where am I? There we go. So she, she grew up in, in, a, in a Hindu family. She grew up in a Hindu family with, with an, another background. And she was forced to go to the temple. She was forced to do those kind of things. And when she finally was old enough to make her own decisions, you see, when exousia, authority, came upon her life to make her own decisions. She stopped going, but she got to a place where she just needed some help. She was in isolation. She needed breakthrough. And time and time again, she heard people say this to her. Just cry out to Jesus. Four words. Is it four words? Cry out to Jesus. Yeah, four words. And I said to her, hold on. What do you mean you heard people say, cry out to Jesus? She said, well, I would be on the gym. I'd be on the gym, in the gym, at the gym. I'd be at the gym maybe working uh, on a bike or something, and just someone would come up to me, and maybe i look down or something and touch my arm and say, just cry out to Jesus. You take note of those things, don't you? She would be in a, in a queue um, at a supermarket, and someone would just say to her, cry out to Jesus. It happened four times. Let me tell you, the simple testimony, if you've cried out to Jesus and you've known him touch your life, that's your testimony. It takes cry out one Mississippi two two seconds to share a testimony, right? Yeah. Two seconds. And after four times, this precious lady realized, okay, God, you're speaking to me. And do you know what she did? When she was in her room one day, she cried out to Jesus. And what happened? The Holy Spirit flooded her heart. She experienced God and she gave her life to the one who was touching her in that very moment, Jesus Christ. Give God praise. This is what God does. These testimonies, these stories, they're out there all the time for us to listen to. There was a, another, um, another man who had been struggling to get over some life-controlling issues. He had tried his hardest. Um, he had said he tried for over a year to give, to give this thing up. He was trying to use the dunamis within him, right? Do you understand? I'm using these words because I want you to understand authority and power. And he was trying to use the power. He was using all of his willpower. He was reading all of the right books. He was, he was trying to steer clear of all of the right places he needed to steer clear of, and he just couldn't shift it. And he had given his life to Jesus as a young boy. He had grown up in the Christian faith. But you know what? He had backslid as a, um, as a teenager. And he said there was a moment in his room that he was saying, God, I can't go through another day like this. And he said he heard a still, small voice say, today is the day that everything is going to change. And what that still small voice did is it filled him with the Holy Spirit. It filled him with faith. And he said, okay, if you can help me do this, I'll do this. And he said, his life changed from that moment. Let me tell you, God is moving. There's another one, another lady. She's, I'm telling everyone else's testimonies. This is good. But as I'm speaking, I'm going to ask you in a minute, what's your testimony? 
What has God given you? What are you a witness of? What are you a witness to? Do you know how to share your testimony? There was another lady, she, she had also grown up in another religion, lost a loved one, had had, had had a funeral and was really, really low and felt a presence of peace walk into the room. She said that she was aware of, because of her spiritual background of those kind of things of spirits and she knew there was something different. And she said, are you Jesus? And he said, yes, I am. And he came and he ministered to her. The man in white came and ministered to her. Jesus is on the move. He is on the move in your life. Are we witnesses of it? Do we take notice of it? Our testimony is one of the most powerful switches that we have. You see, a personal testimony is a personal experience. And it's beyond argument. A testimony, when we share it with, something, with someone, it's something so vulnerable, something so real, and something so relatable. And like I said, it's not what we don't have, it's what we do have. So why, why do we get so caught up about our testimonies? As I said, sometimes we compare them, don't we? Well, it's not as powerful as that guy's testimony. Sometimes we think, well, it's just the same testimony over and over again. Do I really need to say it again? One of the things we do in Heart to Heart is once we've gone around, I also share my testimony. And my testimony is the same one that I share in Heart to Heart every single time. And I catch myself thinking, God, is that the right one to share? And he says, yes, is that, is that what I've done in your life? And I say, yes, that's what you've done in my life. He says, then share it. You understand? It doesn't matter if you think I've only got one testimony. That's the testimony you share. One of the things as being a leader is you have to come up here and share with everyone. So you find yourself searching the, and I said, what, look back today, look back. You find yourself searching the back catalogs, the angles of your life. Like, what, what, have, what have you done in my life, God? And, and as I've looked through, I, let me tell you, I have a testimony of what God has done in our lives in so many areas. When it comes to finance, I could speak, and if you come to an engaged day, I do for about an hour, just on how God has broken through financially in my life. But you hear, and I, if it comes to healing, I've got different testimonies of how God has healed me. I'm not telling you this because I want you to think, oh great, isn't Ryan such a good preacher? Doesn't Ryan have such a good experience with God? I'm telling you this, why? Because you need to do the ministry. Yeah? I'm ministering now so that you can go out and that you can minister. And I have... I've been able to look back and figure out, God, what is your testimony in relationship in my life? What, is, what have I witnessed you do in my life in this area? What have I witnessed you do in my life in that area? But when it comes to the heart to heart, I always share the same one. And here's what I want you to do in life groups this week. This would be great. Think about your testimony. What has God given you? And can you share it in 30 seconds or less? Can you share your testimony in 30 seconds or less? So often we think a testimony is a preach. Uh-uh. It's not. It's what has God done in my life? There are moments that we come into contact with people, as, as I've, ex I've already shared with you. And you might just only have the ability to share four words. But when you understand and you become a, a good steward of the witness, a good steward of the, what the work that God has done in our lives, of the dunamis power he's put upon us, and we move in exousia authority to release it over other people, we realize that, my, that your testimony can be quick. It can be powerful. So if I'm, if I'm coming up with people who are really struggling with finance, I don't have to tell them the whole backstory. I can just say, you know what? I've trusted God with my finance and he's never let me down. Boom. Light switch turn on. It doesn't matter if that conversation doesn't go anywhere else because I'm sowing a seed. How do I know that I'm, I'm not maybe number five in that whole journey that God has got with that person of becoming a witness? You never know what kind of little conversations would open up. Um, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there, guys. Thanks, thanks for sticking with me. So, so in the heart to heart, I just simply tell the testimony of how I encountered the Holy Spirit. Again, we could talk for an hour on the, on the one weekend when I encountered the Holy Spirit. But I sum it up as simply as this. I was in worship. I was a teenager. I was very aware, as you are as teenagers, of what other people are thinking about you or what you think other people are thinking about you. And I heard a still small voice in my heart saying, taste and see that God is good. I looked around in the midst of worship and realized no one was looking at me. So I decided to enjoy some of this presence. I lifted my hands and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. In that moment, my life turned around. I, we could talk, take, talk for ages about this, but I want to just show you 
a way of explaining, of preparing and sharing your testimony because that is what God has given you. Were you hopeless and now you have hope? That's a testimony. Were you, were you lost, maybe struggling to understand your future and God gave you a destiny? That's your testimony. If we, and here's a challenge as well. If you're thinking, Brian, I don't know if I've got a witness of God working in my life. I want to ask you, have you given your life to Jesus? Because that is our first and most powerful testimony. The day that he transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. That is the day when we said, with all the exousia, all the authority that we have over our lives, we said, I lay it down and I step underneath your authority and I give my life to the power of the name of Jesus. That is that moment. Every one of us should have a testimony of salvation, a testimony of how the switch was turned in our lives from death to life, of how the switch was turned in our life from darkness to light. And if you don't have a testimony, you can give your life to Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you become a witness to his work in you. Whatever you're going through, it might be difficulty, it might be struggle, it might be moment after moment coming and saying, I need something to shift in my life, I need a change. When you give your life to Jesus, let me tell you, you will have a witness of what he's done in your life. We have a witness even in our lives, and we have a witness in the church. There's a, there's a communal testimony as well in the church with healings that have happened, with the way God has moved in our lives. So why is testimony so important? Why is it so powerful? Because first and foremost, it prophesies to me when I remember what God has done for me. When I'm facing an area that I need healing. For example, when I'm praying for my 10-year-old at bedtime who needs healing from a chest infection, I don't just pray saying, oh, God, do I believe this? I say, hold on. God, if you've healed me in the past, and he has, and I'm not going to go into all the testimonies, but God's healed me in the past, and I go to my testimony, and guess what it does? It prophesies the witness of the work that God wants to do in my child's life in that very moment, and I can stand in a place of faith, and I can move in authority and power. Are you getting this? When I'm coming to someone who, who, when I'm up against a financial situation, I can remember, God, what have you done with me? What are even the words and the scriptures you've given me? You know, we don't have a witness also. Read this. This is full of witness. What God has done in the lives of other people, he can do in, my, in our life. Never have I seen a righteous man uh, forsaken or his son begging bread. God, even if I'm in a place of need right now, I'm not going to beg for bread. I'm coming into your presence and you're going to provide for me. These are the testimonies that prophesy to us. The reason they're also so important is they're a switch to the people around you because they turn on expectation. They turn on faith. There's another switch. This is making sense, yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah good. There's another switch as we read that long passage of Scripture. Thanks for sticking with me. Did you realize that there was three references to the book of Psalms alone in Acts chapter 4. And we haven't even read the whole, whole of Acts chapter 4. Three references to Psalms. Let me, let me tell you, our first thing that God's given us, He's given us a testimony. The second thing that He's given us as a switch is He's given us access through worship. As the psalmists were worshiping God in his house and they were singing these songs, they were prophesying so much of what was happening that just from Acts alone... There are four references. Um, the first one, the first one is uh, the stone the builders have rejected has become the capstone. That's Psalm 118. The second one is, um, O Lord, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth and the sea that is all that is in them. That's Psalm 46. And the final one, Psalm 2. Why do the Gentiles rage? Why do the nations rage? Why do the kings plot in vain? But he who he has established. Let me tell you, worship is one of the most amazing switches that can change atmospheres, that can change situations in our life. And we've been given access. Yes, when we come in in this corporate place, things happen. But when you're facing things in your work environment, in your home environment, in your school environment, wherever you are, as we begin to worship, let me tell you, a switch is activated. As we are standing in that proverbial bathroom, I almost said toilet, 
as we're standing in that toilet. Yes, I know we can say that in England it's not the actual bowl, it's the room, isn't it? As we're standing in that place that we need light as we begin to worship, we are exercising the dunamis power that God has placed within us. And we are exercising the authority that he's given upon us to bring about changes. And our very words can speak a shift into the environment, a change into the atmosphere. God has made us to be a church of worshipers. I love how you worship church. I love it. It's so good. I love the shouting. It's not that the shouting is anything special, but it's the overflow of a heart responding to God. You don't, even if you don't shout, as long as you have an overflowing heart that responds in worship and praise to God, guess what? You can change situations. So he's given us a testimony. He's given us the switch of worship. Let me get on to this one. It's a switch of prayer. Prayer is not an escape from responsibility, but is our response to God's ability. I like that one. I'm going to say it again. Prayer is not an escape from responsibility, but a response to God's ability. God has given us a switch of prayer. You see what happens here? Um, Peter and John, they're thrown into prison. And I love this. I'll get to that in a minute, actually. So they're thrown into prison, and they come against all the conflict. They come against all this adversity. They come against this power struggle for authority, really. What the leaders are asking is, who's got authority in this place? Because I'm a leader. I thought I had authority. And Peter and John said, hmm, there's a leader in heaven called Jesus Christ. He's actually got ultimate authority. And what they do, they come and they pray together. The prayer should be super powerful. So often we, someone comes to us and tells us a difficult situation. And instead of maybe activating our inner witness, giving a testimony of how God has broken through in our life, what do we say? I'll pray for you, brother. Maybe not the brother. Yeah, I'll pray for you. But, but we don't always do it, do we? And sometimes people use that word, I'll pray for you, as an escaping the responsibility. Oh, you're going through something really difficult. I'll pray for you. It's not that. It's not an escaping our responsibility, but it's a response that brings that need to God's ultimate ability, authority. That's what it is. And when they prayed here, let me just quickly point out some things. I wanted to land this thing soon. True prayer is not telling God what to do, but asking God to do his will through us. That's what true prayer is. It's not telling God, God, I need ABC. It's saying, God, I'm going through ABC. What do you want to do through me? True prayer decrees God's word. That's why they quoted Psalms so many times. They were decreeing the word of God. It is spirit and truth coming together. Um, It's inviting God's exousia power to fill us and our realm. True power was not to remove their enemies or for escape or for an easy life but to be empowered in the circumstance that they might be the change. So here they are going through trial, persecution, being told never to say it again. They didn't pray, Lord, would you remove that leader over this country? Did they? They didn't pray, Lord, would you change the situation? They realized they were the switch in that situation. They said, Lord, I don't want to change the problem, but will you empower me to be the change in that problem. You understand the difference? So often we pray the wrong prayers. We pray things like, oh God, change it all around so that my life is easy, my life is comfortable. No. Lord, empower me in the midst of this to be the answer. I read something else today. This is why testimony is so powerful. We, and we see in our lives we come against problems, we come against obstacles, and we, we think that they get in the way of ministry. But actually, the ministry is turning around the problems and turning around the obstacles. Does that make sense? This is why we are so important as the switch. Switch of testimony, switch of worship, switch of prayer. Um, and I, I want to just say this as well. We're praying on Tuesday. We're going to be praying for our nation. We're going to be praying for our nation. If we, we need God's presence. I mean, I almost said it. We said, so there's ever been a time we needed God's presence? Yes, now we need God's presence every moment of every day. We need God's guidance. But I want us to pray for our nation. I don't want us just to pray against, you know, this, this earthly thing. I want us to go into the heavenly realms, to the place where God is seated. And I want us to, to decree God's plan for our nation. I want us to decree God's turnaround for the nation. Why do I want us to do this? Because we are the switch church. We are the people who are going to bring about change. And the third one is this, this, the power of the Holy Spirit. 
All throughout the, the book of Acts, you'll see how the power of the Holy Spirit grows from Pentecost to working in people's lives. Um, I want to just say this in verse 3. Did you, did you notice the elders and the leaders and the rulers, they laid hands on the disciples? And it got, got me thinking, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? Through the laying on of hands. You see, the enemy came also and tried to lay hands on them. But his laying on of hands was to put them in prison. The enemy wants to come and use uh, captivity. He wants to use intimidation. He wants to use fear to try and silence us. But God wants us to lay hands on each other to put the hope, to receive the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit that we will move into all that he has planned for us. And the final one, let's, let's end on this. It's the power of the name of Jesus. We've been given the power of the name of Jesus. This is what he's entrusted to us, to every one of us. The authority of the name of Jesus. You see, those, those leaders that we read out their names, Annas, Caiaphas, Alexander, all those guys, they were the very same group of people, get this, that met and sat in judgment over Jesus a few months earlier and agreed with him being crucified. They were also jealous of what was happening. They were jealous of the miracles. They were jealous of the, the freedom. They were jealous of what the Holy Spirit was doing through Jesus. And they thought, we're going to stop it. We're going to get rid of Jesus. And they did. They thought they did. Jesus had died. He had resurrected. They tried to cover that up, didn't they? They tried to hide it. He ascended into heaven. And now, shock of all shocks. The disciples are going around and preaching in the name of Jesus. Think about that. They got rid of Jesus himself. They thought, okay, cool, that's not going to happen anymore. We've got our nation back. We've got our religious structures back. And all of a sudden, Peter and John are healing people, doing what Jesus did, but in the name of Jesus. And they're thinking to themselves, we got rid of the body on earth. How can I get rid of the power of the name on earth? Let me tell you, there is nothing that can ever stop, that can ever shut up, that can ever block, that can ever hinder Jesus and his moving on the earth. They thought if we get rid of his physical body, if we get rid of his physical body, we're going to silence it. But no, his name now is moving. And do you know what? His name is as powerful as his body on earth. Why? Because we are the body of Jesus on the earth. It will not be silenced. It will not be shut up. It will not be held back. Just think about that. Jesus himself walking, touching people, healing them, freeing them, speaking words of life, of destiny, of hope. But now his name is as powerful as his body. So when we pray in the name of Jesus, I want you to understand it's as if Jesus himself is here. Because he is here in us. He is here over us. His dunamis is within us. His exousia is upon us. And he has given you authority to be the switch. Amen. Welcome to the podcast of Revival Fires. As we pursue Jesus, our vision is to build a community of believers who are present-centered, people-focused, and community-oriented. This message is taken from our Blueprint series, A Journey Through the Book of Acts. We really believe that you will encounter Jesus through this teaching today. 